um, the kids in the nursery, the kids in Sunday school are learning the children's catechism. And if you don't know that, or if you don't know the children's catechism, the questions are pretty creative and pretty fun. And uh, one of the questions is, can I see God? And the answer is, but, that's right, I cannot see God, but God always sees me. And my wife uh, was teaching that a few weeks ago, and so they were talking about God being invisible. Now, the way I always explain that is, well, if God were visible, you wouldn't be able to see anything else, because he's everywhere. But, like, he'd always be in your yeah, okay. So anyway, uh, she asked the question, well, is there anything else invisible that you can think of? And one of the little girls raised her hands, and in a very post-pandemic world kind of way, she said germs. Well, that's a good answer, germs. Can't see them. Uh, it reminded me of the little boy who was, when he was sent to wash his hands, he said, my hands aren't dirty. And his mom said, well, you got germs all over them. And he said, germs and Jesus is all I ever hear about around here, and I've never seen either one. So, you know, that, that's important. Sometimes the invisible things are important, and, and they're there. And if it weren't for them, we wouldn't be able to live. Things like air, <laughs> things like thought, things like life, they're invisible, but they're real. And uh, today I want to talk to you about uh, the invisibility of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about him because I know last week I really worried you. Some of you were just so nervous. I could feel the trembling coming off your chest every time I, I described the gospel as being passive, as being something you just receive. Every time I tried to tell you well, there's nothing you can do to make God like you. Every time I tried to tell you that we depend fully upon him, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, completely objective of us, and we are like the ground just receiving the rain, like we are receiving God's Word. And it does its work in us, despite us. And you were so nervous, and, and you looked at me with eyes that said, Ricky, don't say that. And some of you moms were covering up your son's ears. Don't listen, honey. You have to be good. That's all they, we want you to know, is you have to be good. And I want you to know you can relax. You can relax because the gospel can be trusted. You see, we are saved by grace alone, but grace is never alone. Uh, the gospel is not just good news that we shout out into the air. It is the it the gospel, the message, is the power of God unto salvation. And that power is real. And the Holy Spirit who brings that message to us is real. And He changes us. And He can be trusted. He, he opens our eyes so that we see Christ as beautiful. Uh, he convicts our heart so that we feel the, the sinfulness of our sin and we feel the the danger that we're in without him. We feel our helplessness to ever do good. As Paul says, uh, the, the things I want to do, I, I can't do. And the things I, I don't want to do, I, I just keep on doing them. And, and before the work of the Holy Spirit, you were like that, but you didn't care. But now you want to be better, and you find out you can't. And, and, and he renews our will so that we're no longer a slave to our sin, but we're now able to embrace Christ. We're able to. And because he's changed our eyes and our heart, we want to. 
And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit's work. And so I, I want you to know that, yes, the gospel is a passive, it is good news, it is objective of you, but it can be trusted because it is the power of God unto salvation. Please stand as we read this text. It's a beautiful illustration of the power of the gospel. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many people my own age, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you, before God, I don't lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. They glorified God because of me. May that be said of all of us. Because God's... Uh, because all of our flesh is like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. But God's, not God's, <laughs> the grass withers and the flowers fall. But not God's word. God's word stands forever. Amen. The gospel is God's power unto salvation for all who believe. That's hard for us to trust, isn't it? It's, it's hard for us to hear things like there is nothing you can do to make yourself palatable to God. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. There is nothing you can do. You're not sick. You're dead in your sin. That, we don't like that. It seems um, frightening. Like how can we, I mean, how can we use that to control our children? And if religion isn't good for controlling your children, what's it good for? And, uh, and we hope, honestly, we come to, to chapter 2 hoping that Paul's going to dial it back a notch. Yes, the gospel is good news, but you still have to keep the law. But he doesn't say that. And, uh, and the reason he doesn't say that is because we can't do anything. You see, before you're in Christ, you are the problem. And you are all over you. And so anything that you do to you only makes you more like you. I mean, the germ example is actually great. If you are, have germs all over your hands, you're not getting the germs off. Anything you touch, if you touch your face, if you try to rub them on your arms, you're just getting more. You're covered with it. 
You have to go to something outside of you. You have to go to the water. You have to go to the little sanitizer gel that I don't trust. You have to go to something else to get the germs off of you. In the, in the same way, we can't get our sin off of us. We can't get our selfishness off of us. I mean, it's a pretty obvious example, right? I mean, if, if the core, if the heart of sin is self-interest, and we come to Christ because we want to be saved, well, that's self-interest. Even our motives are suspect. They're tainted. And, and the Apostle Paul doesn't dial it back. As a matter of fact, he dials it up. He doubles down. He raises it to a whole new level. He begins talking about uh, the God who saved him as the God who set him apart before birth. And, and how, can, how can that be? Well, you parents know. Everybody in here who's a parent, you know. What did your child do to make you start loving them? I mean, if your daughter looked at you and said, Daddy, you started loving me when I made that A in English, didn't you? I'd be like, no. You started loving me when I won that race at kindergarten, didn't you? No. Well, what did I do, Daddy? To make you start loving me. And you say, well, you're mine. You're mine. I started loving you the second I saw you. And you were gross and naked. And your eyes had little slits. You were little slits like lizards. And you were selfish. And you cried and you messed all over yourself and you wrecked my sleep and you took all my money and you looked at me like a like I was a lamp you could you didn't recognize me you didn't show me any affection any attention you didn't know who I was and I loved you so much I was willing to die for you then you're mine and and that why why would you think if we humans give love like that to our children, why would you think God's love's any cheaper? Why would you think God only starts loving us when we do something right? Of course that's how he loves us. That's why we love that way, because we're made in his image. And God chose us and, and called us by his marvelous grace. And uh, just like our children are, are called in, in our uh, image he he calls us in his image and then he he does something wonderful he he reveals Christ in us he makes us into baby Christs i uh, i saw a great example of this uh last weekend i watched football on saturdays uh because i'm a christian and uh i was watching the tennessee game now if you know me you know i hate the university of tennessee but They've been so bad for so long, and it's just no fun to hate a team that's bad. And so I've actually kind of come around to rooting for them because I want them to get good so I can start hating them again. And uh, they won a game, and the tradition at the University of Tennessee is all the football players come over to a certain corner of the stadium uh, where the students sit, and they all sing Rocky Top together. Now, the song Rocky Top is a banger. Whether you like Tennessee or not, that's a great song. And, you know, so I was watching that, and this mom had, on the front row had her baby in her lap, and he, the baby could not have been two. I mean, it was just tiny. It was kind of, you know, bouncing around like, I don't know where I am. And then they started singing, 
And you could see the baby mouth, Rocky Top. And I was like, that kid is getting indoctrinated. And there's going to come a day when that child thinks, I love the University of Tennessee football because they're the best. But we all know the truth. That decision was made for that baby long before it was ever born. And some of you think, I love Jesus because he's the best. But we know the truth. He loved you long before you loved him. And that's the message. That's the ultimate message of grace, that God loved us before we did anything. And, and there's this fear. There's a fear on behalf of everybody who's ever heard this message that if you do that, people won't do anything for you. When people hear the, the, the gospel is 100% passive, something you receive, like the earth receives the rain, then they're not going to do anything. They're not going to change. Why would they change if they don't have to? And that's just not true. Because the gospel is not just a message you hear. It is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God. You know what people hear, do when they hear that the gospel is passive? Here's an example from a man named William Holland. Uh, he was a student at Oxford, and him and his buddies, they, they, were, they, they wanted Jesus so badly. They wanted to be ministers, and they got together, and they prayed every night together, and their friends around them made fun of them and called them the Holiness Club. And, and they, they got together just seeking the Lord, but they could never... And they never felt like they broke through. And, and someone discovered Martin Luther's, we don't know who it was, but someone discovered Martin Luther's prologue to uh, Galatians, his introduction to the book of Galatians, and read it to him. And he got to that section that I, I quoted last week where Martin Luther says, Is there nothing we can do? No, nothing. And this is what he said. There came such a power as I cannot well describe. My burden fell off in an instant. My heart was filled with peace and love, so much so that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw my Savior. My companions, seeing me so affected, fell on their knees, and they prayed. When I went outside, I could scarcely feel the ground beneath my feet. And he started doing what any of us would do. He took that introduction to the book of Galatians and he went into a different house every night and read it. I, I, I think, I, I really get the idea that he would just knock on doors and say, hey, you got a second? I want to read something to you. It seems like that was what it was. And one night he didn't find a house. He, he read it in the courtyard out in front of a church called Aldersgate. And John Wesley was in the crowd. And he heard those same words and he said, my heart was strangely warmed, and I felt at once that I truly did love Jesus. And they found out that their own salvation was not something that they had to do or earn. They, they found peace. And those men heard this message, this message that we're so scared people are going to hear and, and not do anything. Those men started a grand revival preaching the gospel with their friends George Whitfield and Charles Wesley. And, and that revival changed the course of history for all uh, English-speaking nations, both America and uh, England. Because the message freed them. The message empowered them because the Holy Spirit comes with it. And Paul shows us, he, he illustrates how the Holy Spirit comes with it. 
by, by showing us not the problem, but the greater truth. The, the gospel is God's power to salvation. What does he say? He says, when it pleased God to reveal Christ in me, or depending on the version you're reading, to reveal Christ to me. We, uh, NIV, I think, says in. I think the ESV says to. We don't know. And I love it when we don't know. Because I believe that God is the author of Scripture, and I think He intentionally gives us things that we don't understand so that we will know it's both. It's always both. He revealed Christ to me. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit opened Paul's eyes. And he saw that this man that he very probably knew and certainly had heard about was in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion. That man was the Lord. And he was raised from the dead. And that is a supernatural belief. It's not a legend. It's not a myth. It's a historical belief that Christians share. And I, just think about it. Nobody would believe that. I mean, especially somebody who is his contemporary. Can you imagine just kind of looking at a guy and maybe having coffee with someone later and going, Hey, you know uh, that guy we, we used to know, he's a preacher. You know he was the son of God. No, he wasn't. Son of God's not a man. It's stupid. He didn't create the world. Yeah, he did. Why would you believe that? Well, you remember them killing him? Yeah, everybody remembers them killing him. Everybody, I want you to know this, you need to know this, everybody believes Jesus died on the cross, especially the Roman soldiers. They were there. They saw it. But Christians believe he was raised from the dead. That's crazy. Raised from the dead. That's how we know he's the Son of God. And Paul believed that about his contemporary. Why? Because the Holy Spirit opened his eyes and he saw Jesus as beautiful. He was revealed to me. And then he says, and, and the text also says in a mysterious way, to me and in me, that he revealed Christ in me. What does that mean? It's, it's just one of the most beautiful things you'll ever hear, Christ in me. That when people saw me, they saw Jesus. How did the Apostle Paul describe it? I have been crucified with Christ, and the life I now live, I live in Christ. I live for Christ who lives through me. When you see me, you see Jesus. That's what was happening with the Apostle Paul and people around him. They didn't know what happened. They didn't understand, but they all of a sudden knew that the one who was trying to destroy the gospel is now preaching it. And that's true of us. That's true of everyone who hears the gospel. It, that when they are changed by it, they're freed from a life of, of guilt or freed from a life of bondage, and now all of a sudden they become different. They become different people. And you see, the Christ, you see Christ in them. That, that was true of me. I, I, uh, I grew up in the church, um, and I grew up with a very, very uh, kind of self-salvation mentality, and I tried harder and harder and harder. Went to more and more Bible studies, 
In my sophomore year of college, I went to one every day of the week and uh, two on Wednesdays. The first one was at 6.30 in the morning. I didn't make that one very often, but it was there if I wanted it. And, uh, and all it did was heap more and more guilt upon me. I was a failure. And then I got a hold of this little book that's not in print anymore. And that book explained to me that when Jesus died on the cross, I'll never forget that phrase. If you, went, if you were able to build a time machine and go back and ask Jesus during that, those hours he was on the cross, if you were able to ask him, why are you doing this? He would say, for you, Ricky Jones. That's what it said in the book. Rick, no, he said, for you. It was specifically for you to save you and when I understood that the world was just different from that day on and I I stopped trying to earn God's love and I started enjoying it and I never wanted to be anything but a minister and I never have been anything but a minister Christ in me now others can see it that changes our life it's power it's power um, the power of God into salvation, the power to, to change someone who only thing he ever cares about is, is building up his resume of holiness within the traditions of Judaism, and now he's completely throwing them away and preaching the gospel that he tried to destroy. That's power. Power is a weird thing. It's invisible, but it's real. I asked my son this. He's an electrical engineer. I, I uh, texted him before I wrote the sermon or while I was writing it. He says, is electricity invisible? He said, basically. As far as you're concerned, yes. I was like, great. That's all I needed to know. <laughs> Power is invisible, but it makes things go. Like we are, I think you, you forget the miracle of it. Like We turn on lights, and they come on because of something we can't see, but we can direct and harness. And, and that power of, of God is invisible, but it's in us. And it enables us to say no. It enables us to say yes, and it changes us slowly and thoroughly all through our lives, moving us toward hope, moving us toward joy, moving us toward love, moving us toward grace, being gracious with others. And it changes people. It changes people. We see it. We know that it's there. And that, mess, that, that power, that grace, it comes with the gospel. It always comes with the gospel. So that if someone tells you, well, I understand the gospel, but it hasn't changed my life, then we can look at them with all confidence and say, you don't. You just don't. Because God tells me that it changes everyone who believes. So either you don't believe it, or God is wrong. And one of those can't be true. Parents, I, I want this to be a, a comfort to you. I really do. I think parent guilt is the worst. I think mommy guilt is the worst thing in the world, but daddy guilt's not that great either. And um, you think if you do it right, you think that your children are going to grow up right, and, and therefore you think if you do it wrong... You know, if your, parent, if your kids reject the gospel, if your, parent, parent, if your kids do something you don't want them to do, you think it must be your fault. 
And I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. You can't save your own heart, and you can't really save the hearts of anybody else. I mean, you can't save yourself. That's the whole message of the Bible. And you can't save your kids. You just can't. Sorry. And uh, I, I want you to know that. I want you to know you can trust the Lord. I, I do believe he, that he is writing a story with our children, and who knows how long it's going to take that story to end, but I do believe the overwhelming majority of our children will will eventually return to the Lord. Um, but if they're not walking with him right now, that does not mean you did something wrong. You don't have the power to change hearts. Uh, think of it in a reverse way. Uh, I was actually having breakfast with someone two weeks ago, and he, he's so worried about his kids, and he, he, he laughed. He said, I don't know why I'm so worried about my kids. I had terrible parents. I didn't even know my dad, and I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. <laughs> it can't be up to the parents. I hope that's an encouraging message to you. You can trust the Holy Spirit. And kids, I want kids. That's all of you under the age of 30. I just want you to know if you're rejecting the gospel because of your parents, um, that excuse is lame. It really is. Um, and you know that. Um, it's between you and Jesus. And you've, if you've been in this church any time at all, you know about, enough about Jesus to see that he's good and he can be trusted. And he is the only thing that's going to take that guilt and shame away. And even though your church hasn't been that great and even though your parents didn't do everything right, that's still between you and him. And you need to stop blaming everything else. And it's hard. It's difficult because we live in the shadow of the gospel. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about England in the first part of the 20th century, he said, we, we, we live in the shadow, uh, or those who lived in Victorian England lived in the shadow of the gospel. That, that great revival I talked about, it, it really did change England. And then the next few generations, they lived in the shadow. They were overshadowed by the gospel, but they weren't penetrated by it. And the same thing could be said about us right now. Uh, honestly, if you, if you don't know much about American church history, then I want you to understand very clearly, it's very obvious, there was a huge revival in this nation in the 50s and the 60s. It was real. Now, you know, we're so close to it, we kind of tend to make fun of it, but it was very real. Right? I mean, the, the thousands and tens of thousands who were saved through Billy Graham and um, more than him, David Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz and uh, Oral Roberts. And I mean, we literally live in the shadow of that one. Um, it, it was a culture changing event. We live in the shadow of it, but that doesn't mean we're penetrated by it. And we kind of know the words to say and we know what we're supposed to believe, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is in us. If it is there, then our life would reveal that. We would feel it. We would know it, and others would see it. So is that true of you? Jesus said the Holy Spirit's like the wind. We don't, can't control it. Certainly can't control it. Everybody in Oklahoma knows that and you don't really know where it's going to go tomorrow, but you can see where it's been. And so I just ask you, can we look at you and see 
that the Holy Spirit has been there, that he's changed you. And if you can't, then why not today? What's wrong with today? Today's a great day. If you, I, I promise you, the whole, Jesus keeps his promises, and he says if anyone will come to him, you'll find rest and nourishment for your souls. And he keeps that promise. Today's a great day to call him on that promise. Please pray with me. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in our midst. Would you continue to call people to yourself? Would you do that even today? Would you convict people of their sins? Would you show people that Jesus is not what they think he is? He's good and he's beautiful. And would you make him irresistible to them, we pray. And for the ones who are ready to come home, I pray they would see you running toward them to welcome them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.